0: here we go well listen we've got we've got an exciting day Um, a very exciting day it's been exciting already Um, but we have kids I know you're in here we have a real-life superhero real-life superhero with us today now now listen I'm not super sure on like what his superpowers are but there are some people here who know this guy, and they tell me, listen, his superpowers are absolutely amazing. So, without further delay, I would like to introduce our superhero. Everybody clap. Our, uh, our, our hang on a second, hang on. Lots of technical difficulties today. Bro, are you coming out? What do you, what do you mean you don't feel like it? But you're, you're not getting paid unless you come out. Uh, all right, all right. Uh, sorry, folks, again. <laughs> First, the microphone, you know, capo problems, everything's going wrong today. Um, but our, uh, our, our superhero is, is ready, so um, without further delay, our superhero! <laughs> yeah! All right. Wow, you uh, sure took your time getting out here. Yup. Okay. All right. So um, you know. Uh, anyway, uh, we're glad to have you here. Uh, we're we're super glad to have you here. Um, I see that there is um, there's an A on your chest. Uh, what what does that A stand for? Apathy. Uh, okay. So are you like apathy man or or apathy boy or or super apathy? Captain okay cool captain apathy uh do uh do they call you uh, do they call you cap app Why would they do that uh, no reason no reason whatsoever um, so uh so what are your like what are your superpowers? can you like climb walls or read minds or talk to fish or uh, can you make yourself invisible or can you make me invisible? Superman. Okay, Superman. Superman's like another, another superhero. What, what does that have to do with you? I could do what he does. I just don't. Uh, okay, that's that's really cool. Um, so you're like super fast and super strong, and um, you can shoot like laser beams out of your eyes, and you can freeze things with your breath, and and all that stuff. But I'm sorry, did you say, did you say you can do all of those things, but you just you don't? Yep. Well, what if um like, what if someone was in trouble? Would you would you help them? I don't know. Okay. Um, well, let's just let's just say uh, I, I got a personal experience. So last week, I was walking down the street, and some guy came up to me. He punched me in the stomach, and he stole my wallet. Are you saying that you wouldn't help me? Wait, were you on State Street? Yeah, I was on State Street. I saw that. You fell down like a little baby. You were like... All right, folks. Uh, that's all the time we have for our show. Uh, I'd like to thank this guy, um, the uh, our band leader, Captain Stevie, um, and uh, you know all of our all of our sponsors. Um, thank you very much. Don't forget to control the pet population. And have your pets spayed or neutered. Help me. Help. All right. Let's give Bryce a hand. Thank you for my phone. Thank you. All right, I got one more guest to call up here. Our show isn't quite over. Uh, Lily, where are you at? Lily, come on up. We're going to go down. I'm going to come to you if you want to stay down there because the microphone that you're going to use is down there. So in youth group, what we've been doing is um, Pastor Steven mentioned last week uh, the line and, and he was talking about that our goal is to say what scripture is saying. Um, We have many tools that we use in order to try to figure out exactly what Scripture is, is saying and trying to communicate to us. And one of those tools that we use is figuring out what type of genre... That the uh, that the the particular passage of scripture we're reading is so. There's all different types of dra- uh, genre. There's all different types of drama too, um, as we just saw. Um, but there's all different types of genre. Um, there's there's poetry in the Bible. There's the law. There are commandments. Um, there are uh, there are prophetic um, portions of scripture, um, and we really have to to figure out first what. What each genre is. So I'm going to ask Lily here, um, the book of Nehemiah, what type of genre is the book of Nehemiah? It's historical narrative. Historical narrative. Okay, so what is, what is historical narrative? What does that mean? It's a story about events that happened in the past. Okay, a story about events that have, that have happened in the past. So um, why is it important for us to know what type of genre that we're, we're reading? Um, it's so we can understand the correct message, purpose, and tone of the author. Okay, yeah, so we can, we can basically figure out what, what the author is trying to say. So if we're reading historical narrative, like, a, like poetry, um, we probably aren't going to get the correct understanding of what, of what Scripture is trying to communicate to us. We're going to be way off the line at that point. So this is a story. Um, what are some basic questions that we have to ask if this is a story? Who, what, where, when, and why? Who, what, where, when, and why? Right. We've all learned that in school before. Everybody, give Lily a hand. So, we are going through the Book of Nehemiah in our um, in our youth group time. Uh, our students have been um, studying. And they've also um, they've also helped me this morning to develop this message. Um, I think it's very very important that with our young people, uh, we are teaching them good Bible study techniques. Um, we do not want to raise uh, the next generation who uh, who gets most of their spiritual uh, food and nourishment from this time in the morning. That throughout. Throughout the week, they are studying scripture on their own, and they are gleaning um, real truth into their lives, um, and that's one of the goals that we have with our youth ministry. So, we are looking at Nehemiah chapter 1, and a few weeks ago, we went through uh, Nehemiah chapter 4. This is the popular thing to do nowadays, is to, is to have a prequel, um, you know, you put out the movie first, and then you go back. And you you kind of you kind of tell the story before the story. Uh, sometimes it works out really well. It hasn't really worked out super well for for Hollywood. Um, you know, everybody kind of likes those original movies uh, a little bit more than they like the the prequels, um, especially when you put strange characters in the prequels that nobody likes. And Nobody continues to like. But anyway, um, so we have to answer these questions. This is a historical narrative, which is an actual story that happened in the past. The unique thing about the book of Nehemiah, if you guys are not familiar with the order of the books of the Bible, they are not in chronological order. The book of Nehemiah is actually the last historical narrative, pure story that we have in the Old Testament. Um, it's the last historical narrative, pure story that we have in the Old Testament. So as Lily shared with us today, um, we have to answer some of these basic questions at the beginning. And um, thankfully, the Holy Spirit and, and Nehemiah, because these are his words, um, have given us in the first four verses basically all of our answers that we need to we need to figure out. So Nehemiah starts off his story here. And in verse 1 it says the words of Nehemiah the son of Eliah now when it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year I was in Susa the citadel that Hananiah one of my brothers came with certain men of Judah and asked them concerning the Jews who escaped who had survived the exile and concerning Jerusalem and they said to me The remnant in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The walls of Jerusalem, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. So the first question that we have when we when we come to this story is is who? Who is our earthly main character in Scripture here? And the conclusion we come to is this it's this guy, Nehemiah. Now, what do we know about Nehemiah from these first verses? How can we accurately answer this question of who? Who is Nehemiah? Well, we learn he has a father, which most of us do. We learn that he's got a few brothers. One of his brothers comes and and talks to him here. Um, We also learn that he loves the Jewish people and he loves Jerusalem. But it's also important to realize what is not said about Nehemiah here. Uh, Nehemiah is not a, he's not a priest. Um, he's not a prophet. Um, he doesn't directly hear the words of God audibly spoken to him. He doesn't have a great message to bring to Jerusalem. You know who Nehemiah is? Nehemiah is a guy... With a job. How many of you guys are guys with a job? Raise your hand. Guys or gals with a job? He's a guy with a job. That's who Nehemiah is. We're going to read at the end that he's the cupbearer to the king. Now, it's an important job, but it's not necessarily the job that, that God has for him. God has placed him in this position, but for all intents and purposes, Nehemiah is just a guy. Um, And I think it's important that in the Old Testament that God includes this story. Because I think it can speak directly to most of our lives. Where sometimes we feel like we are just a guy with a job. There's not a huge great purpose behind what we do. Maybe we go to work every day, we click, you know, we punch in and punch out. But there's not a great purpose behind what we do. So we continue on here. We find out that he has a father. We find out all of these things. Um, And then we find out when. So it says now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year. Um, It gives us a time frame here. Um, And what we have to realize is that this month of Chislev is probably November or December. Okay, November or December in our calendar um, but according to the, to, the, to the calendar they were going according to uh, the, the Hebrew calendar, it was November or December. And he says in the 20th year. Most likely that means the 20th year of the current king. Uh, next week we're going to talk about the current king a little bit. But it's the 20th year of his reign. So we have the when. We have the who. Who is Nehemiah? When? When? Roughly somewhere between 550 and 450 B.C. I like to say 444, but that's just me because it's easy to remember. Or 555. It's somewhere in that time period that Nehemiah is written. That this book is happening right here before us. Certain men from Judah come. So he says, where? We have to answer the question now, where? Where is Nehemiah when all of this is happening? It says, as I was in Susa, the citadel. As I was in Susa, the citadel. Billy, one of your vocab words this weekend or whatever, what was the, what's the words that you had to include in that essay? Were they vocab words? What were they? What was one of your words that you had to put in there? Citadel. citadel. So you used it in a sentence, right? Yeah. Again, I can't spell to save my life, but in the spelling bees, you know, they, they ask for use in a sentence, ask the etymology, all of this stuff. Do you know what the word citadel means? Okay, a, a castle on a hill that overlooks the lands. It would be a great spot to have the capital for the king to be. Okay, for the king to be. I'm going to talk a little bit about Clark Summit University. Okay, um, I used to joke. I was, I was, a, um, I was an employee of Clark, Clark Summit University, just a guy with a job. Um, and uh, I would joke around uh, with, with some of my other uh, co-employees there and co-workers um, and I would say, listen, if I was ever president of Clark Summit University, now none of us in this room know what it's like to be president of Clark Summit University, but if I was ever president of Clark Summit University, I said I would convert the bell tower into my office. I said, so I could look out over, over everything, and I could, I could see everything, and it would, be, it would be awesome up there. It would be great. Now, I don't think anybody's ever going to, you're not going to convert the. That would be great. Like, that would be amazing, right? That would be an awesome, awesome place. Well, this idea of a citadel is, is that idea, that, that the king could overlook everything and see everything that's going on in his kingdom. So where is Susa? So Susa is actually east of Babylon. Um, We've talked about Nebuchadnezzar. We've talked about uh, Babylon before in the past. Um, We've talked about Assyria, which is a little further north. This is actually further east. Yes, further, I'm sorry, for for you guys, further east of, um, of where Babylon is. It's almost on the border of Iraq and Iran. Um, it's, it's almost right on that border, and obviously just north of the Persian Gulf. So we're actually further away from Jerusalem than Babylon is. Um, it's, a, it's a good trek. So when it says that Hananiah, his brothers, um, and, and some men from Judah came, they came on a very long journey. The other key for us to realize here in this passage is that there is a very good chance That our main character, Nehemiah, has never, ever been to Jerusalem. He's never been there. There probably was no reason for him to ever go. He was probably born in Susa. He's never actually seen it. He's never actually been there. So his brothers, uh, verse 2, And Hananiah and one of my brothers came with certain men from Judah, And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. So, there is something on Nehemiah's heart. He asks two questions. He says, "Uh, brothers, how are the people of Judah, how are the people, how are my people, my heritage, how are our ancestors, and how is the greatest city in the world? according to Nehemiah. Asks two questions. These things are on his heart. I'm sure they discussed other things, but the Holy Spirit in Nehemiah led him to record that he specifically asked two questions. See, Nehemiah has a love for his heritage. He has a love for his people, but he also has a love for his city. He's passionate about it. He loves his city. He includes something in here, and he, he gives us a little bit of a context here. He says, who have survived the exile? Well, what was the exile? Well, the exile we've already kind of talked about. When Nebuchadnezzar came in, right? In Daniel chapter 1, it's recorded. And again, If you're thinking about your Bible and your books of the Bible in order, Daniel comes after Ezra and Nehemiah. But um, in the book of Daniel, it is recorded that uh, Nebuchadnezzar came in, right? Who remembers what types of people Nebuchadnezzar took? Who did he take? Does anyone remember? Somebody's mumbling. Say it louder. You're probably not wrong. What did you say? The smart people, right? The smart people. He takes those who are an understanding of wisdom and knowledge. Um, He takes not only the smart people, but Ron, who else does he take? You should know this, Ron. He takes the good-looking people, right? I mean, Ron should know that, right? I mean, he takes the good-looking, smart people. He says, listen, I'm taking these people. Well, that's the funny thing. Um, So he, he, Ron says he's safe. That that means that he's he's being taken. I'm not safe. Okay. When when Nehemiah is asking about the people of the exile, we might think to ourselves, well, who was left in Jerusalem? The dumb, ugly people. That's who were left in Jerusalem. I was left in Jerusalem. I'm sitting there and I'm like, darn, I'm the dumb, ugly people. I guess I didn't get picked. Um, You know, the dumb, ugly people are left there. Now we laugh at that. But my sister-in-law is a missionary to Cambodia. Um, And after the Vietnam War, um, the Khmer Rouge came in and they did sort of the same thing. They left a country in in ruin. What they did was basically judged people on two criteria. Um, If you were smart and if you had influence. If you were smart and you had influence they didn't take you, they killed you. And they left everyone else. If you were in any type of leadership Jason if you wore glasses they perceived you as intelligent. That's why I don't wear my glasses. Ike, sorry, Ike. Ike took his glasses off. He's <laughs> like, I walk around blind. Vienna, walk around blind. That's how they judged people, and they left them in utter ruin. So he asks two questions. And he says, Listen, how are they? And here is our, we're going to have a lot of peas this morning, okay? I'm sorry. Uh, Pastor Stephen has influenced me. We're going to have a lot of peas. His brother is going to tell him the problem. Our first point is that there is a problem. And they said to me in verse 3, The remnant there in the province who have survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and the gates are destroyed by fire. Good chance Nehemiah's never been there. Very good chance. Better than than not, he's never been there. Can you imagine if there was one place that was close to your heart, a people that were close to your heart, and the report comes that they are dismayed that they're shamed that they're vulnerable that the city that you love the walls are torn down the gates are burned there is no protection for them whatsoever you love this people I love the Irish I do I'm Irish I love being Irish we have done little to nothing in our history okay um, you know, in the in the record of history, uh, our most popular people are going to be uh, a few monks who decided to uh, to take uh, a bunch of old Latin um, literature and translate it um, into English, so that we would we would have it or recopy it um, in in Latin, um, so that we could we could preserve it throughout the years and some guy who's a leader of a band that walks around with sunglasses all the time that goes by the name of Bono. Those are our two great contributions to the world, okay? That's it. We can't even claim St. Patrick. Oh, what, what did I miss? What did I miss? We missed the Kennedys. Okay. he's The, uh, the Kennedys, right? We missed the Kennedys, too. The Kennedys, um, you know, uh, you know, we, we really haven't, though, in the great grand scheme of things, we haven't changed the, the course of history. It is a desire of my heart someday to go to Ireland. I want to go see Ireland. I want to see where my ancestors are from. I've never been there. I do love the Irish people. I love their music, okay? I do. I do love their music. Um, the funny thing is I love Irish music, but I don't like country music. And if you listen to Irish music, it's very, very similar to country music. But I I don't like it. I don't know why. There's something about Ireland that I love. This is where Nehemiah is. He loves Ireland. Those of you who know me, those of you who, uh, who have come in contact with me, what are some other things that I love? Oh, I love fishing. We're going to talk about fishing for a second because she mentioned fishing. I love fishing. I could fish all day long, okay? I could fish, I could waste my entire life away fishing and die a happy man. If I could do one thing in heaven, I hope that there is fishing in heaven, all right? I love fishing. I also love the Philadelphia Eagles. I do like Red Bull too, I'm sorry. We're getting all my sins out in front of everyone right now. It's like people really know you. You're an open book. Um, So a few months ago, uh, it was actually November, the Eagles were playing the Giants. And um, it's always a tough time for me because there are so many Giants fans around here. Um, And and I hear it from them. I constantly hear it from them. And um, I love my Philadelphia Eagles. And and I I do. I love them with a passion. So uh, unbeknownst to me, it's the end of the game. Um, We could win the game. Like, we could win. All we need is a touchdown. And we're, like, close, all right? We're, like, within, like, 10 or 15 yards of the end zone. Like, it's almost like, man, we can, we can taste this win. And unbeknownst to me, you can put the video up, unbeknownst to me, my, my son decided to record me at the end of the game, the very end of the game. Do we have that video? Here it is. Oh, he went through his hands. So our quarterback drops back, and he's looking, and he sees our, one of our star wide receivers, one of our high draft picks. Howie Roseman's an idiot. Uh, one of our high draft picks. He sees him, and our quarterback drops back, and he throws this ball, and it's in the air, and nobody's covering him. And he's in the end zone. And the ball goes right through his hands. And I was like, what? I couldn't believe it. I fell to the ground. I was like, oh, I'm ruined. I'm terrible. I I feel awful. My Philadelphia Eagles that I love, they just lost to our our arch rivals, to to the team that everyone around me, not everyone, I mean, the state of Pennsylvania is basically owned by Pittsburgh when it comes to football, but um, you know that, that at least people in this area, there's a lot of Giants fans. I got I got Ted over here who's a who's a big Giants fan. You know, Bill's a Cowboys fan. We pray for him every week. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's 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 horrible. It's heart wrenching. It's gut wrenching. When I was at CSU, uh, we had three words. Three words that were our motto, and I do believe Nehemiah is going to illustrate those three words perfectly. Back in the 90s, does anybody remember what the three words that we had at CSU or BBC back then was? Do you remember, Mr. Wilhite? Do you remember? Leadership, passion, and impact. Impact. Those were the three words. See, things stick with us. They do. Like we learned things there. We, we, we became valuable members of society. Um, leadership, passion, and impact. Leadership. Nehemiah is going to display a, a tremendous amount of leadership in this book. But his passion here, turn with me to chapter 5, or verse verse 4 here. Verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Guys, this is passion. This is passion and and pain. I mean, that was a stupid football game. This is meaningless. We still made the playoffs. The Giants didn't make the playoffs. We made the playoffs. But it was a stupid football game. How can I be so passionate about a stupid football game? It is stupid. Um, it's a stupid football game. That fishing. Like, do you know how frustrated I get when I have a fish on and it comes off, and I'm like, ah! I get mad. I get upset because I'm passionate about it. But in the grand scheme of things, like, there are so many more important things to be passionate about. You know, we got Mr. Apathy or Captain Apathy over here. Guy isn't passionate about anything. He's just a guy. He's a guy with a job, he's a guy with incredible power that doesn't use it. Passion and pain go hand in hand. As parents, we are passionate about our children. Um, as brothers and sisters, we are passionate about our brothers and sisters. It's part of the reason why we fight so much. With them, there's a passion. There's a pain that comes with it when things don't go our way. Guys, when we are faced with a problem in our lives, how do we respond? Who do we look towards? What we're going to learn about Nehemiah here is not only was he passionate about his people and about the land that he was at, He was passionate about the most important thing. His God. What does it say? It says, I wept and mourned for days. And I continued in fasting and praying before the God of heaven. For days, people. You know, I think prayer and fasting, they're two superpowers that we have if we know Christ and we ignore we're just apathetic towards them well what's praying really going to do like I got to get out and do something I got to solve the problem I got to fix it as pastors we can fall into that trap where it's like oh no there's a crisis we have to be there we have to we have to counsel we have to fix it we have to we have to do something But our first move should always be on our knees, praying before God. Listen to this prayer. Listen to the prayer that he prays. Verse 5, And I said, O Lord God of heaven, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Our second P is is the prayer. The first P, we had a problem. The second P that Nehemiah does is he prays. And the prayer that he prays tells us a few things about this man. Number one, the way he starts off his prayer. He starts off by praising the God of heaven. And he says, God, you are awesome. You are seated in heaven. Why does he start off this way? Why does he start off praising god why not just be like god i'm in trouble fix it somebody better fix it fix it that's the problem it needs to be fixed god here's our problem fix it does god need to hear that he is great powerful awesome that he's seated in heaven does god not know all of these things I think the reason that Nehemiah starts off this way is a couple of reasons. Number one, he's going to be quoting scripture. He's quoting from Daniel chapter 9. In Daniel chapter 9, Daniel starts off the exact same way. Daniel's prayer is much longer, but I think that's part of the reason. He is praising God because he knows scripture. But I think also it's about who Nehemiah is. Who did we say Nehemiah was? A prophet, a priest, a king? No, he's a guy with a job. Nehemiah realizes that he is very small and insignificant. And God is huge. He is so much bigger than he can imagine. The reason he praises God is to put himself in the proper position. He says, listen, God, I'm down here. I'm weak. I've been brought low. You are so high. You are so great. You are so worthy of honor and praise. We learn that Nehemiah loves the word of God. He quotes Daniel here. But not only in quoting Daniel, he understands it. It's not just a rote prayer. Okay, this is not just uh, something that he is repeating to God for the sake of repeating Scripture back to God because he thinks it's some magic formula that somehow he's going to appease God from uh, from just reciting you know large portions of Scripture here. He's praying because he knows the situation demands it. This situation is not about Nehemiah; it's not about what Nehemiah wants. It's not about the desires of Nehemiah's heart, solely about the desires of Nehemiah's heart. It's about what God has told his people. And he says this, God, you keep your covenant in steadfast love with those who love and keep his commandments. He's saying, God, we have a relationship. You love us. We love you. You have given commandments and we have tried to keep those commandments. You are faithful and steadfast in your love. And this is how he starts his prayer. See, the problem is big, but our God is bigger than the problem. Remember, Nehemiah asks two questions How are the people? His brothers and the people respond bad. How is the condition of the city? His people and the people with him, his brothers and the people with him respond, bad. Does Nehemiah give up? No. He turns to God and he says, God, this is a big, bad problem. Guys, how many times in our life How many times in our life do we face a big and bad problem and we try to fix it? We try to solve it. You know, maybe we lie to ourselves and we say, God, this problem isn't big enough, you know, to bother you with. That's stupid. Our God loves us, He came and He died for us. He loves us. Prayer is our superpower and we ignore it. We ignore it all the time. We're no better than Captain Apathy over here. We have a great power that we just ignore. Verse 6. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant. Guys, this is the, this is the big idea for today. This is the crux of Nehemiah's prayer he's going to say this again in his prayer okay as you're studying your Bible things that are repeated over and over again in the same chapter usually there's a reason okay there's a reason they're repeated it's designed for us to focus on those things that keep getting repeated because they're very very important Nehemiah asks God he says he petitions him he says Lord let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to the prayer of your servant. Guys, this is a very humble statement. We learned about Nehemiah that he is he's humble. His heart is moved. He's coming to God in humility. But there's one thing that Nehemiah doesn't say in his prayer. He doesn't write, run down a list of why he's qualified, Right? He doesn't, he doesn't run down this list and say, okay, uh, I have influence. Um, you know, I'm, I'm the cupbearer to the king. I can, I can make a difference here. I'm a good public speaker. I can, I can you know, win friends and influence people. Um, you know, I, I, he doesn't run down the list. He says a few simple things. He says, God, I'm trying to be faithful. I'm trying to be faithful. Open your eyes and hear me. Guys, our big idea for the day is that the Lord hears the prayers of his faithful servants. The Lord hears the prayers of his faithful servants. One thing Nehemiah isn't doing, and I don't want you to get the wrong main idea here. God is not a genie in a bottle. Okay? We don't do X, Y, and Z and then expect God to fulfill all of our wishes and desires. That's not how we treat God. I hope that while we read Nehemiah's prayer here, you realize that he is coming in absolute humility. Continuing on in verse 6 here, that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. Again, guys, if we go back, We can go back and we can look. Nehemiah in his prayer, if you want another P under prayer here, Nehemiah is persistent in his prayer. He is persistent in his prayer. Day and night I am praying. I am fasting. This is something that is so important to me. And I can't fix it. He continues on, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and not kept your commandments, the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Ooh, wait a minute. God hears the prayer of his faithful servants. But Nehemiah here confesses that he has been unfaithful. That the people of Israel have been unfaithful. That even he and his fathers have been unfaithful. And they've acted corruptly. Guys, a point for us to take away here is that God's faithful servants aren't perfect. We aren't perfect. This here is um, Nehemiah confessing his sins to God. Now, does God already know his sins? Oh, yeah. God knows the sins of, of Israel. God knows the sins of Nehemiah. God knows the sins of his father. But he is coming humbly before God and saying, God, listen, I know we don't deserve this. I know that you are holy and perfect. And guess what? Us human beings who are privileged to call you master, to call you God, to call you, uh, you know, to call you master, us privileged servants are so unworthy for you to act and intervene. You guys remember Indiana Jones? Indiana Jones, right? His, there's always like booby traps. Like there's always these traps that they set up in there and, you know, Indy's got to figure out, you know, the thing and he's got the, you know, the, the leap of faith that he's got to do and he grabs the sand and he throws it out and then all of a sudden you can see the bridge and, you know, it's got this thing of this guy, you know, standing out there. There's another, there's another uh, obstacle that he's got to come through and he keeps repeating a phrase over and over again. Does anybody remember the the phrase that begins with a P that he he says over and over again? So he doesn't get his head chopped off. Does anybody remember? You know? The penitent man. He keeps repeating it. The penitent man shall pass. The penitent man shall pass. The penitent man shall pass. And then he realizes the penitent man is on his knees. And a blade comes through and almost cuts off of his head. This is what Nehemiah is doing. Nehemiah is saying, listen, God, we're not worthy. God, we are so unworthy. God, we have sinned against you. You are faithful and we have been unfaithful. Verse 8. Verse 8 here says, remember the word, your commandments of, uh, uh, of your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the people. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, From there I will gather them up and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. The penitent people are redeemed. They're redeemed. You know, there's all this talk of, uh, you know, and maybe you've bought into this lie in your life, but that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are two different people. That they don't operate on the same set of rules here. God is constantly calling his people back to himself. We have a God of forgiveness. Nehemiah illustrates it here. He says, listen, we have been unfaithful. But if we are faithful, you will call us back. Your word says this. Moses recorded it. Your name will dwell there. Your name will be glorified. Guys, if you don't know God here, and you face a big problem like Nehemiah does, you're absolutely lost. You're floundering. You have no one to turn to. Sometimes, I guarantee you, sometimes it just feels like you're moving from problem to problem. Anybody own an old house? Right? You start to fix one thing, Jason? You start to fix one thing? I hate houses. Anything I've sold, I think I, I hate to a point. Like, you know, it's just it just becomes that. I do, to a point, I hate cars because they keep breaking. I hate houses because they keep breaking. Um, but an old house, we, in New Jersey, we owned a house that was built around 1900. And it just seemed like every time there was a problem, I'd find 10 more problems. So there was one time where we had, uh, it was just a mouse, okay? And I know probably the smell would have eventually gone away. But we had a crawl space under the house, and this mouse died, like somewhere underneath the crawl space in the house, pretty close to one of the vents. It was actually in the vent, and I couldn't get there unless I crawled underneath of it. So I go down to our crawl space and I start to get ready, and I'm putting my worst clothes on because it's just dirt and cobwebs and everything. I had like a headlight. I looked like a miner, you know, my, my Irish heritage. I look like a miner, right? So I, I climb under there, and as I'm getting under there, I look to the left, and I notice something that our inspector didn't tell us about. Our house is held up by these old, rusty jacks like basically like and i'm looking under here and i'm like and they're on like cinder blocks and it's not like you know an engineer did not design this like it was like some guy that was like oh the house is sagging you know it's like the it's like the table at the restaurant that that isn't you know and they just shove you know napkins underneath so it's like oh look it doesn't wobble anymore this is my house so i get the rat out or the little mouse you know it was only about that big or whatever and i you know i get rid of it but I just kept thinking to myself, like, there are so many issues with this house. There are so many things down here. Now, God eventually blessed me. We live in the house that we live in now that Andy Harker Road used to, used to own. I mean, Andy, when we bought the house, he gave us a manual with the house. Like, this is the best house ever. Like, I, 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 honestly, I honestly think it's the greatest house ever. But we, we run into this, this cycle where it's just problem after problem if we don't know the Lord. I honestly, I I lived it. I lived it for 11 years of my life where I was just moving from problem to problem. I thought I was doing the right thing, but I wasn't. I was solving my own problems and in the process, creating more problems. People say the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are different. We serve a God That loves his people, that is constantly calling him back, calling them back to the point where even while we were sinning, he would send his only son to die for us. While we were at his worst, he was at his best. Jesus is the ultimate manifestation of forgiveness and love. He is. But in the Old Testament, we see shadows of things that are to come. God told Moses, listen, if you are faithful, I will redeem you. I will bring you back. And when I bring you back, what does he say at the end here of verse 9? I will gather them and bring them to a place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. See, it's not about us. God does the gathering. God, we learned last week, God does the choosing. God gathers us together, but it's so his name might be glorified. We read in the Old Testament, when the people of Israel would come upon a new town, when they were wandering, and and they would come upon like Jericho, the people were afraid. Not because they had amazing weapons, not because they were such a large people, but because they had God. And now the city that they're supposed to have, the people of God are in trouble. They are shamed. The walls are torn down. The name of God is being defamed. And this is Nehemiah's motivation. God, you, you are not being honored. God, gather us together. Look how many times at the end here. Verse 10. They are... Your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. what a great like like this is this is like. This is like that, you know, the, the halftime speech of the coach here, right? I mean, this is, this is amazing. By your, straight, uh, by your strong hand, O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servants and to the prayer of, uh, I'm sorry, and the prayer of your servants who delight and fear in your name and give success to your servants today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Twelve times. Two verses. The focus is on God. See, not only does Nehemiah love the people, not only does he love the land, Nehemiah loves God because he knows the power. That's our final P. The power of position. The power that God has. They are your servants, God, and your people. I joke around I say the Eagles are are my team. You know I say Ireland is is my homeland. Kind of I don't own it. I'm not responsible for it. I do nothing for the Eagles, I do nothing for Ireland. God is on a whole different level. God, these are your people. These are the ones you have called and created. God, they are your servants yeah, they might be knuckleheads and idiots, but people are knuckleheads and idiots. You're not. And how do we know you're not? Because you have redeemed them with your great power and your strong hand. God is powerful. He's in a position to make a change. You know, so many commentaries I read this week say that the point of Nehemiah is that one man can make a difference. I kind of disagree with that. The focus of Nehemiah is not the man. The man is a great example. The focus is on what God is going to do. Just like when they showed up to Jericho and everybody was scared. These people are going to undertake a task that God is going to oversee. And they're not going to be afraid of the people. They're going to be afraid of God. He said earlier that they fear your name. That's what this means, that even at the name of God, the nations would tremble. Because he is so great and so powerful. He is so strong. Forget Captain Apathy. Forget Superman. The greatest superpower that we have, the greatest hero that we have is God. And guess what? God is not apathetic. God is passionate about his servants. God is faithful to his people. God loves with a steadfast love that human beings we just don't. I mean, I said this morning already that I love the eagles and I already called one of their front office people an idiot. Like, how can blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth? Things shouldn't be so. It's not so with God. God is faithful always. He will not turn his back on his people. Nehemiah knows who has the power. Nehemiah has a plan here. He's going to go before the king and he's going to make a request of the king. But before he makes a request of the king, here's what we need to realize. That Nehemiah knows who has the real power. It's not the king. It's not the people who have torn down the walls. It's not the people that have burned the city. It's not the people who are harassing the people of God. They don't have the power. Nehemiah goes to the source first of real power. Our last P is position. Position of power. And what Nehemiah realizes, and this is where we need to realize as well, and we'll talk about Nehemiah's plan next week. (laughs) The position is important. The position is so important. Here's how it goes. The position is God in heaven, the king on earth, and Nehemiah on his knees. This is the position. This is the correct position. This is how we need to live our lives. Does Nehemiah know that he has to go to the king to ask to leave? He does know that he has to do that. But does he know that our God directs the heart of the king? Sometimes he softens it. Sometimes he hardens it. Nehemiah is asking, God, soften the heart of the king. Give me success in his sight. Guys, when we're faced with problems, big problems, we can be apathetic sometimes. There are big problems in this world. Our God's bigger than the problems of this world. You know, we, we think about Ukraine. We think about our political situation. We think about all of these uh, issues that people just spend hours debating and arguing over. We live in an information overload society. Big, huge problems. You know what, if we're not on our knees praying about these issues, we're denying our superpower. We're apathetic towards it. Guys, I, I don't know that Christians today enact real change by uh, marching on Washington or, or doing these things. And they're all great things. They can enact change. But nothing will enact change like us getting on our knees and praying to the one who really has the power. That's our superpower. But we think we got to fix it. We got to get our voice out there. Guys, start with prayer. The plan will come, but not before the prayer comes. My encouragement to you this day is that as Nehemiah repeated twice, God listens. To his faithful servants. He hears the prayers of his faithful servants. Humble yourself. Get on your knees and start praying. Nehemiah's heart lined up with what God's heart wanted. That's the place that we want to be. When we want what God wants, that's when God moves in a great way. You know, to a point, one person did make a difference. But only because... They had such a great superpower on their side. Guys, don't deny the power that you have.